Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest the life of the age to come from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. Look at the large letters I'm making with my own handwriting. Whoever wants to look good by human standards will try to get you to be circumcised, but only so they won't be harassed for the cross of the Messiah. Those who are circumcised don't observe the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your physical body. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. May peace and mercy be on whoever follows this rule and on God's Israel. May this be to us the word of the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes, and I'm glad you're listening. And thank you, of course, to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for this music for ordinary time. Do I repeat myself? Sometimes I feel like I repeat myself. It does seem like every other episode, this podcast is about what it means to belong in one way or another. Or maybe more honestly, what it means when we don't belong. What do we do with that experience? Particularly among others for whom Jesus makes sense of things. I've followed stories of Jesus in the earliest scenes of the movement he created from week to week to tease out those themes. Um, And when I come back to that theme over and over and over again, it's, it's like... Oh, um, when all you have is a hammer, is is all I'm seeing nails? Um, but man, it's just, it's there. What is, these, these questions are right below the surface. What does it mean to be rejected or marginalized by a faith community? What is it like when we are being brave and saying yes to that base note of reality? And then having those who claim to know that base note of reality push you away, or worse, simply foul you away knowingly, like an errant memo at an office. Oh, he's one of those. Why do these sacred plumes of belonging and justice-seeking seem to always risk inward-bentness, fear, myopia? Why do we remove those who cannot do the impossible? Why do we think we need so many damn scapegoats to carry our untidiness into the desert? As Rumi asks, why do we stay in prison when the doors are so wide open? Now, for many of you who know my own story, you can see how these themes have been coming into focus slowly for me for a long time, living into a sense of alienation on many levels. These questions, this story seems to be the current I and um, 
many others in my circles um, live in or find themselves in craving belonging and inheriting alienation. Here's where I'm at. Um, why am I repeating myself so much? <laughs> this is just, it, it's one of the dominant themes of the sacred library we call the Bible. This tug of war between belonging and exile, exclusion and embrace, systems that convulse violently even as they try to create peace, tribes of familyness being being dared to imagine the place of others at their table or they at theirs. It's just in every damn page of this thing. Uh, this isn't a book about how to enter God's belonging after we die. That's not the story. It's a book about how God's belonging invades, heals, and subverts this cosmos before we die. <clears throat> it's the story of God's homecoming, and therefore it's the story of all of us coming home to God here and figuring out what to do with those who we weren't expecting to be there. <laughs> it's about what's already true, a hope of its emergence rather than our escape. Do I repeat myself? Sometimes it feels like I repeat myself. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's because the Bible started it. May I mean, this shit is, like I said, it's on every page. So this week's reading is from a guy, this guy Paul, wrote to a community of Jesus followers in a town called Galatia. It's from the tail end of the letter. It's a spicy note he sends him, one that's confusing as hell at times with like really weird spiraling um, arguments from their old stories. Um, but it is spicy nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> so here's why he was writing to them. The Jesus movement began as a kind of renewal movement within Judaism. But for a lot of reasons, it found itself seeing the presence of the divine outside their camp. Among those who hadn't jumped through the same hoops as them, hadn't um, done the important things uh, to formalize belonging there. And they saw the presence of Creator among them in the work and life of non-Jewish folks Gentile, like Gentiles, um, and they connected the dots of their, the presence of spirit in them to Jesus. And so these folks, these Gentiles, wanted to join in this flow of life and compassion and justice that these Jewish Christians were unspooling. But they didn't see why the hell they needed to change culturally to Judaism to do that. It was a huge crisis. The issue on the table... God's plan to absorb the pain of exile into God's self and establish a community of post-national dank. Let the listener understand <laughs> what I'm echoing there. But here's what it came down to. These folks have to become culturally like us to get on the divine flow that Jesus is um, looping us into. That, sorry, I should have said that as the question mark that I wrote it as. Uh, what it came down to is, do these folks have to become culturally like us? to get in on the divine flow of this Jesus thing? Do they have to be like me? Do they need to eat the same way, do the same body modifications, show up to the same events, 
for them to belong? Do they need to culturally conform? Does holy belonging, is it contingent on (laughs) any one culture? Does it mean we need to conform to one culture or not? Does the... Do the marching orders from the start of the story, from Father Abraham, the ones about rituals that tell us who's in and who's not yet in, such as circumcision, do they still stand in this new chapter after the Jesus story, the Christ event? The question is, what are the grounds for our belonging, our holy belonging? Now, Paul used uses a billion confusing and potent metaphors and analogies and stories to argue why these Gentiles don't need to become culturally Jewish to follow Jesus. They don't need to leave their own culture outright to get in on this thing. Echoes uh, here, of course, in our own day and land of boarding schools for indigenous youth the cutting off of their hair and the obliteration of their ancient ways so that they would become American uh, Christians. Uh, Echoes also of queer youth being forced into conversion therapy. This is what empire does. This is what institutions that become idols do. They make you die so that you can be us. But in the God story, God dies to be with us. See, we've got it all backwards. We humans have this impressive impulse and ability to commit to making others be like us. How much harder must it have been in Paul's day when these folks had good precedent for their cultural conversion expectations? God said that male circumcision was how we knew who was in, right? This goes back to Abraham. When folks are appealing to God Almighty for their cultural demands— There's almost no winning. (laughs) Like, Paul has got an uphill battle here. They can just appeal to what they heard, what what God said uh, among their founding fathers. They're going to go down with this ship. There's this phrase, you know, in in movies and TV shows where fans are trying to predict who's going to live and who's going to die, like in Game of Thrones, and they uh, and they say that there's so much narrative force behind this character that they can't die yet. Their plot needs to be looped shut. It's called plot armor, and that's really what Paul's opponents argue, are arguing. Sparring partners seem to be pretty sure they have is plot armor. Like, look, dude, our story goes to this conclusion, not what you're saying. Um, The plot, they are certain, is on their side. It must be nice. It must be nice to have Abraham on your side, right? So what does Paul appeal to? New creation. That's where this story was heading, you guys. Who's got the plot armor now? (laughs) right? Like, the plot armor is not an exclusion. The plot has always been inclusion and unfolding. The plot has not been constriction and narrow um, myopia to a tiny conclusion. It has always bloomed and blossomed. Circumcision and non-circumcision are bullshit, he says. What matters is this new thing the Holy One has launched. On the one side of history is every form of human consciousness— Not just 
up to that point chronologically in history, <laughs> up to the cross of Jesus, but throughout. You can fold history onto that one side. Uh, on, on the cross, all of our best thinking, those shapes of human consciousness of how we make the world right, how we know what and who belongs and what to do about what makes things messy— all of that culminated to us killing the one we thought would lead the charge. Like they say in recovery, your best thinking got you into this room. <laughs> the world has been crucified. In its crucifixion of the Holy One. And in that public execution, our tidy and regimented systems were exposed for the madness they are. And they are what's passing away. They lead to death. The law and circumcision sows death and reaps death. A new reality is here. A new form of human understanding and belonging in the cosmos, in Jesus. This core plotline that runs through the text has been given a profound turn in the Christ event. The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. The world, humanity left to its own dim, dip, dim wittery, <laughs> has been crucified with Christ. The world has been plunged into the deeps for all to see. And what emerges from the water? New creation. Where the old dividing lines are bullshit, all the ways we said you had to cut off your hair and be less gay and man up and stand for the anthem and go to church and circumcise your kids and eat organic and it's irrelevant. The new creation of the Holy One, God's new age, the life of the age to come is here. We needed the old world condemned before we could receive the new creation. But it is here. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Mm-hmm.